Good morning. It's good to be with you again today. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of a review of what we looked at last Sunday. Uh, the subject is the blood covenant. Uh, a lot of people don't like to talk about blood, but the reality is <laughs> the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. because it was a requirement in order to make us right with God. And so we looked last Sunday at uh, several scriptures. We looked at the 12th chapter of Genesis when God called Abraham. Let me get this timer going here so I know where I am. Um, God called Abraham. The 12th chapter of Genesis has been referred to as the great commission of the Old Testament. He, he called Abraham to leave his father's house, to leave his family, and to leave his country, and to go to a place that he would show him. And Hebrews 11.8 makes commentary on that. It says, he went out not knowing where he went. And too many times we've got to have uh, everything lined out before we take the first step. But God doesn't work that way. And God spoke specific things to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make your name great. First of all, he said, I'm going uh, I'm I'm to make your name great. Uh, and I'm going to cause you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to cause you to be a blessing. And we pointed out that him having a great name was not about ego. It was about influence that God wanted people in the earth with what God had given to us to impact the lives of others with influence and that he gets all the glory. And um, we saw the 15th chapter of Genesis where God was entering into covenant with Abram. His name had not been changed. And uh, we saw that when uh, it came time for the covenant. God put Abraham to sleep because God cannot enter directly into covenant with sinful people. And so God provided us a substitute. And we saw that those, two, that those animals that Abraham had gotten uh, at God's order, they were separated. And in, in ancient days when covenant was being made, the individuals entering into covenant with each other walk between the pieces of the covenant meat. But Abraham was asleep, but a smoking furnace, the Bible says our God is a consuming fire, that was the Father, and a burning lamp. The scripture says that the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Jesus is the word made flesh. And so we see in Genesis chapter 15, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ entering into covenant with each other for Abraham and his seed. And then Galatians 3 puts impact on that. Galatians 3 says we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say uh, there's neither male nor female, there's neither uh, Jew nor Greek. We could say there's neither black nor white nor red. It says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
says the promise was made to Abraham and his seed, singular, who is Christ. And he goes on to say that if you belong to Christ, then you too are Abraham's seed, offspring, descendants, and heirs according to the promise. And so the covenant that God, or God entered into with Jesus Christ for Abraham also was for us. And we have a covenant and we distinguished the difference between um, a contract and a covenant. A contract is something uh, that is put together uh, to guarantee that individuals will get what they say. But a, co a covenant is something that is put together so that the one who makes covenant will fulfill what he says. God is a God who does not lie. He's not the son of man that he should repent. Has he said? Yes, he has said, and he will do it. That's the God we serve. And so we are in covenant with the Father. And so today I want to talk about, I, I mentioned it lightly last week, I want to talk about covenant heads. God the Father and God the Son were the covenant heads of the covenant. But we're going to look at a natural example in the Old Testament, David and Jonathan entering into covenant. They were covenant heads. What that means is, is they were representative not only of themselves, but they were representative of their offspring, born and yet to be born. And the covenant was binding for all of the offspring. And we're going to look at a, a, a son of Jonathan with a strange name, Mephibosheth. Can you say Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth. Uh, we can call him Joe, but his name is Mephibosheth. <laughs> and uh, I, I want to, if, if you have your Bible, you can go to, uh, no, don't go there. I'll just tell this story. Uh, I, I've got to hurry a bit. First uh, Samuel 18, here's the story. Uh, Saul and Jonathan, excuse me, uh, Sa Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle on the same day. Uh, David had entered into covenant with, uh, with uh, Jonathan. I do want to read this, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. When he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. The Hebrew there says the life of Jonathan was bound up with the life of David. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. This is right after David and Goliath. We looked at David and Goliath last week. Right after David had killed Goliath, this is taking place. And Saul says, would not let him go to his father's house anymore. And verse 3 says, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword, his bow, and his belt. Uh, John David, if you'll put the first slide up. Uh, the exchange of coats. This, these are steps in making a covenant. The exchange of coats. Each participant removes his coat, and it's a sign of a tribe's identity and authority and gives it to the other participant. And by doing so, each is saying, everything I have, everything I am, everything I represent now belongs to you. 
So it's not just giving somebody a coat. It's symbolic of all that I am is yours. Then the exchange of weapons and belts. Each participant removes his weapon belt, and it included his sword and his bow. And they would exchange these belts, and by so doing, they would declare to each other, as my covenant brother, if anybody comes against you, they're coming against me, so I will be at your disposal to take care of you. And it was reciprocated by the other uh, covenanter. And so we need to understand that covenant is not casual. It is absolutely, uh, it, it's such a strong, strong commitment. And we're going to see how binding that was in the life of Mephibosheth. You don't put the second slide up yet, not quite. The next thing, we'll show another slide in a minute, but right now the exchange of names. Each participant takes the other's name on himself. A person's name represents his individuality. And this exchange of names demonstrated a death to being primarily an individual. Remember that covenant is the member, excuse me, is the union of at least two people. In covenant, you are no longer concerned only with yourself. Your concern now includes your covenant partner. Your care for your covenant partner, the same as your care for yourself, because the two of you are now one. And all of this is laid out in the New Testament. Paul wrote and said, don't only be concerned about your affairs, take seriously the affairs of other people. And the New Testament talks about us being one with each other. And this is so significant. All right, you can put the second slide up. The name of God in Hebrew is without pronunciation, Y-H-W-H. And so we have to put vowels into it. His name is Yahweh. And God was entering into covenant with Abram and also Sarai because she was the wife. Abraham's name before he became Abram, excuse me, before he became Abraham, his name was Abram. The predominant vowel, excuse me, the predominant letter in God's name is H. So God took that out of his name and gave it to Abram, making him Abraham, and to Sarai, making her Sarah. And, and then God uh, changed his name. He didn't change his name, but from that time on, he took upon himself Abraham, and since then, he's been known as the God of Abraham. The thing that's amazing with God is that he wants to identify with us. He wants to identify with us. Hebrews says that Jesus brought many sons to glory because that's what God wanted. God wanted sons. And we talked last week how that in the New Testament, whether you're male or female, you're called a son. And whether you're male or female, you're a bride. And, you know, God doesn't get caught up in genders. We have so many identity issues uh, in this world today. And our primary identity as a believer is my new identity is I am in Christ. I am in Christ. That's our identity. And what does that mean to be in Christ? Well, it means that God the Father and God the Son entered into covenant with each other. And I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, just like Romans chapter 8 says. 
And uh, I, I don't want you to turn here, but you can read this story in 1 Samuel 20. Uh, 1 Samuel 20, verses 11 through 16. Uh, the story goes and it, that even though Saul was so impressed with David uh, because he brought down Goliath, soon after that, David would go out to battle and God would give him so much favor. And when David would come back from battle and everybody heard, then the women would sing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And so Saul became very, very jealous. And Saul actually tried to kill David. He would throw spears at him. He was after David. And so the story here in 1 Samuel 20 is that Jonathan and David go out into a field. And they talk. And Jonathan says, I'm going to be on the lookout for you, David. I'm going to let you know if it's safe to be around my daddy or not. Saul was the king, and Jonathan was really the apparent heir because that's the way it went. But Jonathan recognized the hand of God upon David. And so they enter into a covenant here in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And the 14th and 15th verses are, are very descriptive. And Jonathan says this to David, And you shall not only show me kindness, the kindness of the Lord, while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. You need to understand something about house. The Old Testament talks about the house of David. Uh, the New Testament talks about the house of David, that uh, Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. It just simply means family. And, and we've, we've perverted the word house by giving like a church building, calling it the house of God. No, we are the house of God. God doesn't live in buildings made with stones. He lives in us. So house means family. We are the family of God. And so when Jonathan says, you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever, he says, my family. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, the family of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now, enter Mephibosheth. What happened was Saul and David were killed on the same day in battle. And generally what happened, uh, when a new king came, uh, the family of the former king often was in jeopardy. And so news came to Mephibosheth and his, the people that were responsible for him, that his father and his grandfather had both been killed in battle. And so the nurse, the nanny, picks up Mephibosheth, five years old, and in haste to flee, dropped Mephibosheth. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. It's amazing the number of times in the Old Testament when it talks about Mephibosheth, He's identified as the one who was lame in his feet. That was his natural identity. That's very significant for us, as we'll see in a minute. He had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. 
And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. And so they fled. And we don't know where they are until we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And this is the main text of the message today, if I can get this thing back the way it's supposed to be. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 13. David said, listen to this question, Is there still anyone who's left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. You know, there's a, there's a scripture in the Psalms that says, that godly people swear to their own hurt and do not change. In other words, you know, the nature of commitment is this. When you commit to something, you commit to more than you're aware. When you get married, man, did she commit to more than she was aware. That's just the nature of it. But a heart that is pure before God says, no, I made a commitment. I'm going to keep this thing. And so David knew that he had a covenant with Jonathan, even though Jonathan was dead. He remembered that covenant out in the field. He made a commitment. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Now, Saul was the one who was trying to kill David but David looked above that and he saw lineage Saul Jonathan there's got to be somebody else and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba so when they had called him to David the king said to him are you Ziba and he said at your service then the king said is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God. That word kindness is the same word as loving kindness. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a precious word. Uh, that song that we sang for many years from the Psalms, your loving kindness is better than life. And so David was saying, I want to show the kindness of God. Because Jonathan had said, you're not only going to show the kindness of God to me, but also to my generations to come. And Ziba said to the king, there is still the son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. That should be a disqualifier. But the king didn't say, no, I can't use him. I need somebody more pure. What did the king say? He said, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Micah, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Lodibar is a desert region. It's a the word Lodibar literally means without pasture. No pasture, not pastor, but no pasture, no grass to feed in. Lodibar was a wilderness. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah the son of Amiel from Lodibar, 
Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. David called him by name. You know, it's very important to know somebody's name. When somebody calls you by name, it means something to you. I mean, I forget names. We all forget names. But David did not forget that difficult name, Mephibosheth. And so when Mephibosheth comes into his presence, David remembers his name and he calls him by name. And Mephibosheth answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. Remember when God came to Abraham in, in Genesis 15. He said, do not fear, Abraham, because I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. And so David says to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. What he's saying is, is that the kindness that I'm going to show you is because of your father and because of a covenant that we made years ago. And I will restore to you all of the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. So here is Mephibosheth. He's been living in fear of who the next king would be. He knows that his daddy can't be king because his daddy's dead. And so when he's beckoned by the king to come from Lodibar, I'm sure he came with fear and trepidation. And so he hears these strange words doesn't make sense that the new king is going to be restoring to him what he himself should have, what the king should have. But he says, no, I'm going to give you everything Saul had. And then Mephibosheth says in verse 8, Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? He saw himself as a dead dog. When Peter was with Jesus and Jesus told him to cast the net on the other side of the boat and they got a phenomenal catch, what did Peter say? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What Zeba said was not a bad thing. We all know that it's by the grace of God that we have anything or that we are anything. So he says, I'm just a dead dog. Why should you say these things to me? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. Ziba and his sons and servants had worked the land for Saul. Maybe some for Jonathan. But here's this kid with crippled feet. 
who's lived away. And David says, you serve him just like you served his grandfather. That your master's son may have food to eat, but Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat at my table always. He states that again, eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a pretty good entourage of people serving you. And Mephibosheth did nothing to deserve this. I don't know if he was a bad kid or a good kid. All we know about him is he's crippled in his feet. But what accrued to him was not because of him, not because of his goodness. It was not withheld because of his sin. It was put upon him because of a covenant that had been established by his father and the new king before he was born. Or, excuse me, before he, he was crippled. Verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, that's easy. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Sonship. Sonship. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both of his feet. He ate continually. You know, he had been given all of the prophet. I'll talk about that in a minute. In these 13 verses, Mephibosheth's lameness is mentioned twice. It's mentioned in 2 Samuel 4. It's mentioned other places. The fact that Mephibosheth would eat at David's table is mentioned four times. Now, you know the high place we give here of eating at the table absolutely we do we it's community that's why we have a meal on community uh, at our community groups um, it's interesting the word Mephibosheth literally means out of the mouth of shame shame is a cursed thing shame can be a good thing it's not bad to feel ashamed when you do something wrong but to live in constant shame is not a healthy thing. And Mephibosheth's name means shame. Mephibosheth was an orphan. David adopted him as his son. I'll read another scripture in a minute. Mephibosheth is defined by his condition, by his place in life, which is crippled feet. Crippled feet is his place. That's his identity. Sadly, it's what Judas' identity became. You don't read Judas' name in the New Testament without his identity, who also betrayed Jesus. 
And so Mephibosheth, he had this natural identity he could not get away from. But David brought him to a place where he could not identify primarily that he's the kid with crippled feet. Never trust anyone who doesn't have a limp. A friend of mine told me years ago. I would add to that, never trust anyone who doesn't have a limp and who doesn't know they have a limp. If we understand we all have a limp, we're all lame. Mephibosheth is lame. But when you sit at the table of the Lord, when you sit at the table of the Lord's family, all of your lameness is covered. Do we need to understand more importantly how we need to sit at the Lord knowing that he accepts us as sons, sitting with his family, and it's being at the table of the Lord with God's family that our lameness is covered. There's something about the connection of family that covers lameness. When you're at the table of family, the table of partnership, at all the blemishes, all the brokenness, all the lameness is covered. The thing that's amazing about it is that you get close enough to people over time, we see our warts, we see our wrinkles, we see our lameness, we see our brokenness. But because we have time together, eating meals together, being open with one another, we have no desire to expose. Our desire is to cover because love covers a multitude of sin. We could all rehearse our lameness. We could all rehearse our sin. We could all rehearse how awful. But God looks beyond that. And he brings healing. Covenant is family. Covenant is partnership. There's something about God that can only be discovered in the context of relationships, in the context of family, in the context of covenant. This poor cripple at Lodibar never supposed that David would show him favor. Never. That's why when he came in and just, he appealed. He threw himself on the mercy of the king. Why would you say such things to such a dead dog? Let it go. <laughs> just give it to her. I don't need it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Did he not belong to the rejected house of Saul? What could he expect from one whom his grandfather had hunted like a partridge in the, in the mountains? Besides, his lameness made him unfit for the king's court life. We, like him, are the children of an apostate race. It's called the human race. We have neither beauty nor worth to commend us as much as we try to. But Mephibosheth had been included in a covenant. He might be unaware of it, but David could not forget because of the covenant that he made. He swore to his own hurt, and he would not change. For the sake of the beloved Jonathan, David treated his son Mephibosheth as a blood relation. Nothing in the course of events 
could alter the sacred word that David had sworn to his departed friend. Our own case is similar. We were chosen in Christ before the world began. When I was born again, December 13, 1971, God was not surprised. God knows the ending from before the beginning. I was chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. You were chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. I was predestined, you were predestined to be a son of God, included in the covenant between the Father and Jesus. We are in Christ. How do I be in Christ? <laughs> because God the Father and God the Son made a covenant, and all that are in Christ are included in that covenant. Through all of the ages, every person who has put their faith in Jesus has become a son of God. And in Christ is our position. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Because of a covenant. Romans chapter 8 verses 15 through 17. In the English Standard Version it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father has been translated many times by people. It says, Daddy God, you are my father but you are my dad. God, you are my dad. Mephibosheth was an orphan, but David adopted him. We were orphans, but we were adopted into sonship by God. Adoption is intentional, and it's tough to adopt kids. I don't know, I've never done it, but I know people that have adopted, and it's costly, and it's time-consuming, so you don't adopt casually. You know, I'm, I'm the last child born into my family. I'm the baby. Maybe I was a mistake. I don't know. Maybe mom and dad were happy with two. Who knows? But I was not a mistake. God knew I was coming. But adoption's different. Maybe mom and dad didn't plan a third child, but God planned to adopt me. God planned to adopt you as his son because he loves you. He wants you. He knows more of your warts than you know about yourself. When Mephibosheth threw himself down and said, such a dead dog, David might have known more about Mephibosheth than Mephibosheth knew about himself. But I guarantee you, God knows more about us than we have forgotten about ourselves. But he loves us anyway. In verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What Jesus has, we have. Because he wants it that way. God is generous. He's not stingy. What Paul said earlier about 
asking above all that we can ask or even imagine. The Father could find no one in the house of the human race to enter into covenant with. So he entered into covenant with Jesus. Isaiah 53, first part of verse 6 and second part of verse 6 speaks to that so well. God couldn't find anybody in the house of the human race. It says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. We're selfish. We want what we want, and we want it when we want it. That's the nature of the flesh. But the last part of Isaiah 53, 6, in spite of the fact that all of us went astray and turned to our own way, the Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity, the lawlessness of each and every one of us so that we could be brought into his family, so that we could be his covenant partners. So God entered into covenant with Jesus on our behalf. The Father in, and Jesus were covenant heads just like David and Jonathan. The covenant was not only binding for them, but for anyone in Christ through all the generations. Let me put just a little bit on this and then we'll be finished. Saul was opposed to God and all that God wanted. He was opposed to David and all that David was doing. He hated David. So David entered into covenant with and for Jonathan and with and for all who were in Jonathan, all offspring born or yet to be born. David and Jonathan were covenant heads, representative for generations yet unborn. We could say that Jonathan was like a Jesus in the house of Saul. David didn't want to enter into covenant with Saul, although he honored Saul. He honored Saul continually, even though Saul was trying to kill him. And so God saw us before we came. God knew everything about us, still does. And he said, I called you to be my sons. And so he entered into a covenant with Jesus, and he gave us a new identity. All who put their faith in Jesus Christ are sons of God. And our new position is in Christ. Our main position is not male, it's not female. Our main position is not Jew, it's not Greek. Our main position is not black nor white excuse me our main identity is we are in Christ all the other things are surface all the other things are not the heart of the matter and God always goes to the heart of the matter we all needed healing of the heart we all needed restoration we were dead in sin and we were brought alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ so the position we have, which we're going to be talking about in weeks, weeks ahead, is we are in Christ. And to live in Christ. The scripture says, as he is, so are we in this world. The scripture says, 
Our position is we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We walk around down here. We do the will of God here. But our position, we are seen by the Father as being in Christ, seated on the throne with Jesus. That is our position.